Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. As we close 2020, more than 81 million people total around the world have tested positive for COVID-19. Nearly 1.8 million people have died of it. The virus has had significant economic effects and cost many their livelihoods. Here in the U.S., more than 80% of food banks are serving more people than they did a year ago. Prolonged distance from others, of course, has also triggered an increase in depression and revealed other mental health issues, including substance abuse and eating disorders. The pandemic has revealed increasing divisions over masks, eating in person, and what constitutes an essential business or service. Of course, the pandemic was not the only thing that provoked anxiety in many this year. Here opened with the Senate impeaching Trump. Now America will get a new president in January, but President-elect Joe Biden's opponent, current President Donald Trump, has refused to concede and made false statements about voting fraud for weeks. In May, a police officer killed Minneapolis's George Floyd weeks after officers shot Breonna Taylor in her home. Actions would spark demonstrations across the country. Protesters fed up with police violence against Black Americans. These protests had lasted for weeks and were especially heated where protesters, counter-protesters, and outside agitators converged. Many cities suffered looting and some burned buildings. In Kenosha, one counter-protester shot and killed two protesters. In a year with so much trauma, including the unexpected deaths of beloved celebrities like Kobe Bryant and Chadwick Boseman, we wanted to spend some time talking about how we should start to process and make sense of 2020. What should we remember? How should we remember it? What should we forget? You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes discussing major cultural events. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today. I'm Daniel Harrell, Editor-in-Chief at Christianity Today. Right, Daniel, I don't really know how anyone does a gut check for an entire year, but let's attempt it. How are you feeling about 2020 and the fact that it is just hours away from ending? Well, I mean, I, I join everybody who's glad it's ending, but of course, we all know that just because a calendar date marks the end <laughs> of something doesn't mean that it's it's over. But I I am feeling both the relief that all that has happened is at least in the past from a news cycle and there's some hope on the horizon but at the same time i'm i'm aware that there's always more to come so i'm sort of going to sit here and celebrate new years continue to pray and and hope for good things yeah i do think that it's really <laughs> interesting and amusing right that people kind of are feeling like there is some significance to the year ending right and there is this sense of kind of like whenever something else that is very significantly <laughs> emotionally charged happens, right? The sense that like only in 2020, which also is not true, right? Obviously, really terrible, awful tragedies happen. But of course, 
probably the most fascinating things about the things that happened this year was just the scope and how many parts of our lives they touched and how many of us they touched, right? Like one of the amazing things about this pandemic, right, is that it is basically impacting every single person on this planet, even in countries where they have more or less, you know, not had the same number of deaths and people who have gotten sick, right? Well, that's the interesting thing I think about all of this is how collectively we've experienced it, the trauma, but also the the possibility of of uh, new things. And so, you know, there's some comfort in that that fact that it's it's shared misery, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it it also compounds individual struggles that that each of us yeah. have to endure as well. So it's it really is unprecedented time. Yeah, I. I think I told you that I was on the phone this morning with someone who we may end up working with in Indonesia. And she was just, we, you know, we were discussing the pandemic and how it's been handled in both of our countries. And she was telling me about one of her good friends who had died from COVID and the fact that she and her husband lead a church and there'd been people there that had also died in it. And it just, yeah, really just felt close to home that we could have COVID experiences with someone, you know, who's, 14 hours ahead of time where I am, right? But we are going through something that a lot of us are really acutely and very emotionally feeling as well. In a year when there's been so much division, whether over a racial injustice or politics, it's ironic in a way that at the same time, these, these tragedies have served to unite us in some unexpected ways. Yeah. All right. So who's our guest to kind of, I don't know, for us to <laughs> process all of this with? Well, she's a counselor, which of course we're going to need today. Her name is Sheila Wise Rowe, counselor, but also a writer, a speaker, spiritual director, and most recently the author of Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience, published by InterVarsity Press. And so glad to say that she won 2021 Christianity Today Book of the Year Award for her writing. Sheila holds a master's degree in counseling psychology for over 25 years, has counseled abuse and trauma survivors. She's the executive director of the Rehoboth House and the co-founder of the Cyrene Movement, an online community for people of color seeking healing for racial trauma. Sheila, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us on Quick to Listen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we've uh, heard Morgan list a handful of things that have happened this year. What what are the big things that stand out for you? And did she miss anything or anything under, understated or overlooked that she should have mentioned? No, I she she covered it. Um, that's it's a lot. It's a lot for a year, and I think the things that strike me is it is COVID obviously is front and center, and just how COVID nineteen has really transformed the ways in which we move about and live here in the U.S., but around the, around the world as well. I think of how COVID-19 has changed even the significance of our relationships. And just, it has been a wake-up call in terms of taking the temperature of our relationships, shifting how it is that we relate with fellow believers, how do we relate with people in our own families, with our communities, It's caused us in these places of isolation to really, in in many cases, to reevaluate. And sometimes it's resulted in some relationships ending, sadly. And other cases where there has been abusive situations, there's been an ending as well. Many of us have lost 
really, you know, dear ones, people who are close to us. Many of us can name even acquaintances who've passed away because of COVID. For communities of color, we particularly have felt the devastation of COVID-19 ravaging Black, Indigenous, and Latinx communities. And, and the way in which it really has exposed that there's been systemic racism in healthcare and also in, in employment. When I think about that impact and how far reaching that has been, it's going to affect us for many, many years to come. The other thing would be that COVID-19 is, I, I believe, has caused us to come out of a place of denial because we were locked in. We were all home. You know, we were socially distancing. We weren't going to our favorite places. There are things that happen, including the murder of George Floyd in that horrific video that we all saw. And that it was undeniable. And you know, though there were people who would rationalize why it was whatever, he deserved it or he shouldn't have, it didn't sit well for anyone who actually watched that video. It was absolutely horrific. And it was very clear that there's something more going on here. In addition to COVID-19, this video, I think, really shifted people's perspective and caused us all to come out of denial. And then people pouring out into the streets, as you've mentioned. The amazing part was just the diversity of the people who came out in protest, that it was something that we had never seen in this country. We look back at past protests, they were never this diverse. And to see just this swift move to deal with racism and implicit explicit bias in organizations and institutions. I don't know if we're going to see something sustainable out of this, but if I look at 20. 20, those are the two things that stand out for me. Yeah, you know, I, I live here in Minneapolis, and when George Floyd's uh, killing you know, came across the, the screens, and I was one of those who, who stepped out and, and joined the, the, the many, many people in our, in our masks as we uh, spoke out against uh, what happened, and just the way in which it, well, as you say, it was just immensely disturbing. But I like the way you talked about taking the temperature. I mean, there's no doubt that COVID has exacerbated just all of the, the troubles that have haunted America around racial injustice. And I, I, I wonder, do you, do you feel like that in some way that this exacerbation and this exposing of, of what's long been here, like this is what it took for our attention to, to truly be uh, gotten? Yeah, I, I actually do, because I, I feel like there's so many ways in which, as a counselor, but also in my own life, like we can, we are all interested in distraction. So there are many things that distract us from being present in our lives, and to the people in our lives, and to what is going on around us. And we can easily just kind of be hunkered down in our own little silos with our own little people kind of having conversations. And then we have something like that moment where it just kind of burst those boundaries in which we are then coming face to face with a reality that we have denied. And in that moment, that's what happened. And it was an important piece that really, you know, unfortunately and and horrifically that this man died, but it was a a moment for people to really look at, okay, what what is American history? (laughs) Like, what has been the experience of people of color in this country? And there are ways in which frankly, what the white 
majority has not had to look at it. Been fed a certain amount of information through history books. They've been doctored and presented a certain way. And so it was a huge outpouring of people wanting information, wanting to learn, wanting to understand. They didn't have the distractions to hide behind anymore. Sheila, we've been talking about things that have kind of affected everyone, (laughs) and at least Americans at large. How did you see all of these issues play out in the church? And I know that's a really big thing. So I'm just curious, are there like maybe two or three stories that you see as being really important to the church in 2020? One major thing was that, I mean, if we go back four years ago and over four years ago, and it was the election of the current president, the realities of how divided the church is in terms of perspectives, in terms of lived out experience, a real inability to really listen to, okay, what what are these different realities and what is our role as believers, as members of the body of Christ, in terms of addressing that, of looking at it, of seeking the Lord around what am I to do about it as an individual, as a church community. For some people of color, coming out of that election and coming away with this sense of moral injury and this sense of having had this expectation as believers that the church could be something more or should be something more, should be more Christ-like. The feeling that was not the case as a person of color to hear and see the things that were said and done coming from this administration was wounding for people. So a part of the body is is deeply wounded. In 2020, for some in the church, it really was a wake-up call. It really was a, I can't deny this, that they're a part of the body, but also the the country that is in pain and hurting, and it has been over generations, and it is not something that is new. Yeah, I was a, a pastor uh, 35 years and and had left pastoral ministry to take this role at Christianity Today just before the pandemic and before George Floyd and and sort of watched a little bit from the outside as as churches, particularly white churches, but really all churches really scrambled, you know, to make sense. You had the sense that there was this upheaval happening. If I were to reduce the reactions down to Two, I mean, we're, we're kind of living in a binary age, so either or, you know, there were those who doubled down in a way on what had been in order to defend and protect a way of life that I would argue can no longer be a way of life. But then others who really sought to innovate, but are like, we don't know what to do. I wonder if you could say something about, about that. I found the, and I think that when I talk about the whole moral injury part, that that was a, a really difficult piece and this whole doubling down. It just felt for many people of color, there was the inability to listen, the inability to to see. And whether it was a a difficulty of owning up to, okay, I actually missed the mark, or I didn't see things totally clearly, or I saw things only in part, the doubling down made it really, really difficult. And, And the ways in which it was very creative, as people marched out into the streets, Rather than taking that moment and looking at that, this is people are saying, you know what, something is wrong here, and this this is an injustice, and it is, and it's been an ongoing injustice. There was this 
let's frame it as in Black Lives Matter. Like we're, you know, Black Lives Matter as an organization, and then all of the slamming that could possibly happen. So the attention was away from the realities of the injustice, and the focus was then on the organization Black Lives Matter versus the Black Lives Matter movement, which was more around just that simple phrase that is true and profoundly true, and that is that Black Lives Matter, period. And we're seeing that now with the latest iteration has been around um, critical race theory. So we're not going to deal with justice. We're not going to deal with the realities of injustice, of systemic oppression, implicit and explicit bias in our organizations and churches. We're going to fix on critical race theory, talk about how it's Marxist, talk about how it's unbiblical. You know, the average person doesn't even know what critical race theory is. (laughs) They're not thinking about that. Their lived experience on the ground is one where they are wondering, these are believers. This happening in the world, but I'm talking about believers. Believers who are saying, where are my white brothers and sisters? I'm in pain. There's injustice happening in the church and outside the church. Where where are my brothers and sisters? Yeah, I do think that just continue to build up in many ways. It, it feels like scar tissue and continued distrust in these areas. You know, you had mentioned earlier, Sheila talking about 2016 and some of the pain that really was revealed publicly then. And I know that wasn't even the first year. There were other folks who felt that in Ferguson very acutely. And that would only be talking about really big national events, not to mention all the more localized ways in which many people felt that. I do just want to talk about for all of us that were really wounded in 2020, what do you know about how that type of trauma may actually kind of change our bodies and how our bodies might have reacted to this and kind of felt and experienced a lot of this trauma. I know there's this book called The Body Keeps Score, and I've heard that referenced a lot. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that specifically in the 2020 context. One of the, the major things is that I do believe like globally and definitely in, in within the U.S. context, we have experienced a collective trauma. Like we, we've all experienced it in real time all together. We're experiencing this big T trauma. It affects our bodies. It, you know, we're, we've been flooded with stress hormones. We are constantly bombarded by videos, updates, the latest stats. We are experiencing it when family members get become have become ill, where we've lost loved ones, we've been on this tightrope for almost a year. And it has been excruciatingly difficult. We've had kids who've been home and we've had to try to figure out like how do we educate them and still try to work. And then some of us have had to go out and work and were essential workers in various forms, and whether it was working in the grocery store or working in the ER. And so we're all experiencing that trauma. It affects us in many ways that we're we're dealing with lots of mental health issues. That emo- the emotional strain is wearing on us. So we're battling with depression and anxiety. Places where there's anger that flares up. How do we get to this place? We're having difficulty sleeping, there's anxiety that's kind of free floating. So, you know, statistically they're showing the increase in addictions and that people are self-medicating. And there's a need for therapy to really work through this in communities when we're in a place where we can't gather in person. 
what I'm seeing online in terms of people connecting has been a real, a huge help. I would also add that there are ways in which, as people of color, disproportionately affected by COVID, we are dealing with big T trauma times two, as well as little T trauma. And so those indignities that have been happening are continuing to happen. So whether it's being tailed by a police car or harassed in the mall, or we're seeing this with just even recently, the the gentleman who was trying to check out of the hotel with his 14-year-old son, and to have this woman accuse the 14-year-old of stealing her iPhone when they had literally just came down from their hotel. And that exchange being filmed is just one other incident. So these things are continuing to happen while we're all collectively dealing with the big T trauma. And in that way, Black and Indigenous and, and Latinx, other people of color are carrying the weight of this. You know, even with the attacks on Asia, the Asian community around COVID and the China, quote unquote, China virus, that is so racist and so dangerous, dealing with all of these these things. And I think collectively, we, are, we have some grieving to do. The question is, are we going to be able to do that? And will we allow ourselves to grieve? So in the midst of, of this continued grief and trauma, what are some of the, the scars we're going to carry forward from this year? What Not only for people of color, but for those of us in, in the white community too that are trying to, to reckon with our privilege, our, our fault in some of this. Can you name some of these scars that need to be addressed going forward? Well, I, I, I think one of them is that the doubling down is resulting in just further division. That is a fact. And whether it is focused right now on critical race theory, the way in which there are predominantly Black churches in the Southern Baptist Convention who are leaving because they've just are, they've had it and because it's missing the mark. It's missing where the focus really needs to be. That is going to be a scar. I don't know what the Southern Baptist Church is going to end up looking like at the end of the day, but that's one piece of it. Another scar is going to be how are young people going to process 2020 as well as these last four years? And we are seeing our young people leave the church. This is not even just white young people. This is black young people. So we have, on the one hand, white young people who are leaving because they're like, look, everything you taught me in Sunday school really meant nothing because everything that you're co-signing is totally against everything you ever taught me. And then you have, on the other hand, you have Black, as well as other young people of color who really have kind of bought into this notion of Christianity as a white man's religion. So therefore, you know, white man oppressors, so white Jesus, et cetera, a reaction to what they've seen in terms of the evangelical church's response. And there's a lack of understanding about just the history of Christianity and its roots in the continent. I, I believe that that's going to be a scar. You know, my hope and prayer is that at some point, those young ones who have basically left the church will return, but it's, it's going to be a while. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. 
Download the new Bumble now. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But hey, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. So here we are, you know, we're, the, we're a church, we're a country, we're on your therapist's couch. What are you saying to us? What's the way forward? I think that one of the major things that I would say is that to remember the importance of relationship and to prioritize people over things, you know, coming out of 2020, remembering that we really are not in control, that we've never been in control. And that's a hard one because human nature, our flesh, is that we want to grab for control. We have to have these daily reminders, what it is that we value most, what's most important. And to really come to this place of really surrendering our way and in what it is that we want and our attempts to continue to try to control people and things. I think of the the 12-step, the serenity prayer that says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that going into our days in that way, I would invite the church to, to stop, to slow down and get quiet and to honestly ask the Lord about the current state of the church in America. And what is that? To listen, not to come with our preconceived notions of what that is, but to listen and to listen for what have we lost this year and what have we gained? Because I, it almost feels like it can either be one or the other that we can fix on. And let's look at how has love grown or has fear grown in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships? What does that, that fear or that love look like in our bodies? How does it show up in those relationships that are closest to us or, or the stranger? Those are important questions that we need to ask ourselves as we process this year as well as the past four years. Because I believe that you know God is he's saying something to the church in this moment. We've got to take that time of quiet to really listen to what is he saying, honestly looking at it. And how is the Lord calling us back to really the center of our calling? When I think about Matthew 12 and 32 to 34, when the essence of it is to love God with all our hearts, with all of our minds and all of our strengths and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that that is more important. I love that over all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices, the core essence is that. And Jesus' response, like, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. And so how is that? I love that response. You're close. You're not quite yeah, there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. You're close, closer than you were, right? 
Sheila, I just wanted to talk to you or to ask you a little bit about how we should remember 2020 and what exactly we should remember. I was having a conversation with my pastor a couple weeks ago where he was telling me that he had recently learned that after the 1919 pandemic, people made a really strong cultural effort to just kind of forget everything that had happened and to not want to talk about it again. And so they just kind of pushed ahead and immersed themselves in the 20s, even though obviously the hardship from that and plus World War I, <laughs> I'm sure were very present to people's realities. I also know there's plenty of instances in the Old Testament where God asks his people to remember particular things that have happened. So yeah, what should we remember and how should we go about remembering it? I alluded to it earlier about those daily kind of reminders, particularly around the importance of relationship. Coming out of a time where we have had, you know, these barriers in terms of relationship, we can tend to want to not want to deal. That's just really, that's common to have come out of a traumatic experience and not want to talk about it, not want to deal with it. And wanting to kind of go back to some, you know, what we, the quote, you know, quote unquote, normal times. And those times are gone. To remember that at the end of the day, it's going to come down to our relationships with God, how we engage even with our own selves and our own bodies and our, our spiritual life and relationships. That really is the essence of it, relationships with those close to us and our neighbors. We have to come out of this remembering that. Like, we don't want to lose what, and that's when I talked about the diversity of people who came out in protest. Like, my hope is that that would not just be a moment, and then people go back to what they know, what they're used to, but that it is a moment that will change us, but it will only change us if we, if we remember. And I think that's why when you, you talked about those many incidences where the Lord said to remember and to institute these memorials and festivals and celebrations. I think that there are ways in which we're going to need to do that. And there's some talk about it around a COVID memorial or something. I don't know. But even more so, just in the day-to-day, how do we go about living our lives? This year should not have been wasted. Yeah, I'm wondering if you could maybe give a you know a several examples of what this might look like. I mean, is this something that you imagine families trying to create a ritual themselves or something that church communities might do a particular annual night of worship around this? What are some practices that help us like remember in ways that don't, you know, just reduce things to a token act, right? But also do provide space for people to lament and people to honor, you know, and do those happen as individual acts or as larger corporate things? It can be both. And there have been churches and universities that have done lament services in, in very much in the tradition of the Book of Lamentations and the Psalms of having these times and spaces for people to share their pain, to share their hurt, to share their trauma, and to know that there are others who are listening with them, they're, they're holding space, they're uh, walking with them as they're grappling with everything that happened so that they know that they're not alone in it. Also walking with each other as we walk to to the Lord, where we're going to receive that that comfort that um, we so desperately need. 
And so lament services are amazing, but I also recommend that people write out their lament prayers. It may be just taking some time and setting apart and and just being brutally honest about how this year has has been, how it has impacted you and your family and your community. You know, God can handle our anger. We look at Psalms and David's engagement with the Lord at various points. He's brutally honest and questioning God and saying what he wanted to do to his enemies, all of that. And, you know, God engages with us. The Lord engages with us, us from a place of realness, not from putting on the Christian face. The healing comes and the comfort comes and the tears flow when we're actually real about what it is that we've gone through. Doing with other people is amazing. And even if it's writing out your lament prayers and then sharing it with someone else is, is profoundly healing. So Sheila, in your in your book, you talk about the, the road to resilience, which you describe as the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or to work through them step by step and bounce back stronger than you were before and how resilience isn't something we inherit. And I wonder while you apply it specifically to racial trauma in your book, how it might also apply to this larger trauma we've been talking about. Resilience is built over time. So it isn't this magical kind of a moment that happens, but it's one where the scripture that talks about going from strength to strength, that there's a way in which it's incremental. And there are little small things that we can do that build that. And I, and I feel like in so many ways that even if we've not done things perfectly, like maybe we didn't perfectly monitor or educate our kids while they were being schooled on Zoom, or maybe we didn't engage with our family members well. But what are the ways in which we did? And if there are places where we need to to repent, then we need to repent. The ways in which we have done it good enough, <laughs> that builds resilience, that builds strength. The ways in which we can we look at this year and we look at what are the things that I learned from this that I want to carry forward in terms of engagement, in terms of how I do my work? How do I see my vocation? How do I engage with politics even? What is it that I want? What quality of life do I want going forward? What is it that I really value that I want to put front and center going forward? All of those things, those steps, and they may be small steps that we take, but they build that strength and they build the resilience. So when the next thing happens, we're a little bit stronger and keep building and building. And then because things will happen, this is life, we'll be stronger and stronger. It's taking that, those small steps. So resilience, I mean, obviously isn't just about survival then, or being able to endure. It really is related to a kind of transformation. And would you say it's even sort of a power to help us transform and do differently. Could you say a little bit more about how it works like that? Yeah, absolutely. And I firmly believe that our ultimate power source really is the Lord in terms of the power to act and the the transformation that happens internally is where it's an internal work. It's a sanctification that is happening, that transformation that we're becoming more and more like Christ. And I would say that relying on not on our own strength but you know when when the lord does that inner work and it's a it's a deeper work it's a a strength that is not shifting it 
moved. It's not on, it's not shifting sand. It's, it's solid rock. And we know the difference. I know in my own life, when there's something that the Lord has done internally, there's been a transformation. It is set. And there are ways in which in that particular area, I know that the Lord is, has done something. There's been an exchange and I'm reminded of how I need to every day call out for his strength. When I'm weak, then he's strong. And, and so I hear what you're saying is that that strength that Jesus gives us internally, that, that kind of rock sometimes doesn't show itself until the next hard thing happens. Absolutely. And we, and sometimes we're surprised. We're surprised at what it is that we can endure when we thought there's no way we, we could have done that. And, and even now, this year, there, there are some of us, perhaps many of us, who are, if we were to have said to ourselves in 2019, like, oh, this is what's going to, we'd be like, no way, no way. (laughs) There's no way that I'd be able to endure that. And yet we, we have. And I also want to say too, that in the ways in which we haven't, like that needs to be honored as well, that we can be in these places where it's going to take time to heal and it's going to take time to grieve. It's not something that we you know, again, this whole thing of our own strength, kind of rushing our way through it, but to give ourselves the time to be in that place of didn't go well, and I didn't have the strength at moments. And yet God is still there. Emmanuel, God is still with us. He didn't leave. And so that's so, so important to remember that we go with the the pace that he's setting. He meets us in our places of grief. We're, We're not alone in it. Yeah, so we don't need to despair that somehow that grief and that that weakness is ever wasted, right? Exactly, exactly. Sheila, what did your prayer life look this year, and how was it different than other years? A lot of intercession for more around the country than I think I actually had before. You know, we had spent 10 years in South Africa, so definitely was familiar or more engaging in prayer more globally. I think just in terms of looking at this particular year, a lot of prayers around just protection for disease, which was different because there's been, I pray for other stuff that has to do with protection and, you know, whether it's protection for my black son and husband and daughter, extended family, but specifically around this kind of a pandemic, that was a, that was a new thing of interceding for people's protection, interceding for people who have had COVID or healing, that's been different. And also around the whole race issue and that this whole moment of just really praying that this would really take root and that there would be some transformation in the world, but more importantly, some transformation in terms of the church. So, and in that way, odd to say this, but I think because of the nature of the number of people who went out on the street, it actually, I was, it left me more hopeful. There was a moment of feeling more hopeful about race, reconciliation, and healing. Yeah, actually, I'm glad that you mentioned hope. How do you think that we should cultivate hope as we go into 2021? And what would that look like? Does that show up in the types of prayers that we pray or in the conversations that we have or in the actions that we do? What would that look like? I think all of the above. It was interesting for me in January of 2020 when I, I did a chapel service at, at Gordon College in which I talked about hope. 
the theme of the year for them was hope. And so I talked about staying in the story and how, and I think that's the word is just like we have in our lives. If we think of our lives as a story, there's so many, many chapters to come. You know, hope is really one of, if we persevere and, you know, at this point in my life, having seen decades and decades of living, like through some really difficult things, horrible things, and persevering and continuing to move forward and press in and to continuing to hope because at the end of the day, God is still at work. And we need to remind each other of that fact as we're going into January and they're saying it may even be worse. It's continuing to remind each other and to pray that our hope is um, revived for those who are lacking hope and for those who have hope to be able to walk with and be a presence with those who are we're struggling right now and to encourage them. You know, we started with talking about moving into 2021 and I don't know, I'm, I sort of joined the people that make new year's resolutions and yeah, I try to take it seriously make a couple I might keep. And you said some amazing things today, Sheila. I wondered if you uh, might offer a few resolutions to Christians who are seeking to walk faithfully amid the challenges we anticipate in 2021. Well, one of the things that I do, and, and several other people do this as well, is to really listen around. <laughs> That's interesting. Listen around what is the, like a word for the new year, just mm-hmm. a word, mm-hmm. earlier word. And the word that I got was listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I felt like that was not just for me, but it's an encouragement for the church. It's to listen. And it is to listen for the voice of God, that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, and the many ways in which the Lord speaks through people, things, experiences, there are ways in which the Word of God, He's experience, He's speaking. And so listening for for that, listening to each other, like really listening. Not with an agenda, but listening. I think I would say that that is my encouragement would be as we go into this this new year to listen, listen for direction, listen with the ears and of discernment. Don't check out or try not to check out. Try not to go back to distraction. Try to be present to what's going on around you, the people around you. What is it that you need to learn and to hear from them? Sort of listen then past that point of discomfort. Um, yes. you know, listen to yep. the things we don't always want to hear. Yeah. There's one thing that I, one of the, the books around dealing with trauma talks about and racism particularly is that this sense of when you're having to hear something that's really difficult pay attention to listening what is your body saying to that because often the body is responding you know whether it's closed arms folded you know suddenly you know chest gets tight what is that what's happening there is it something that you don't want to hear something that you're trying to ignore or rationalize. It's listening on that front as well. Thank you so much, Sheila, for sharing your thoughts with us about this. For folks who have feedback for us about this podcast or how you have been getting through this year or how you're trying to remember it, send us an email. We are at podcasts with an S at christianmadetoday.com. You can also go on Twitter. We are at CT Podcasts. You know, we love reading your emails and hearing from you.
Now is the time of the show we call Precious Moments, which is when everyone shares something that has recently brought them joy, as well as where they can be found outside of here. Daniel, what is something that has recently brought you joy? Well, it's been snowing here in Minneapolis and and quite cold. And on the literal front, I mean, it was nice to have a white Christmas. On the metaphorical front, I think the reminder over and over in the Bible about whiteness of snow as a kind of sign of God's grace is one that we've tried to embrace. But specifically, I got to go out ice skating with my daughter, and that was that was great. We strapped on the skates, went around the pond, enjoyed the freshly fallen snow. It was a, a lovely kind of Charlie Brown moment. It was fun. When it's snowy outside, what type of activities do you like to do? Do you snowshoe or ski uh, skate, skate, ski, uh, run around and roll in it. Well, I'll say she does that. I don't do that so much anymore. But, you know, here in Minnesota, if you're if you're not going to go outside in the winter, you know, there's a lot of the year you're going to be stuck inside. So you put on the clothes, you head outside, and you learn to love it. <laughs> Where can people find you online? On Twitter? You're on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at D-A-N-L Harrell. Sheila, do you have a precious moment? Yes, actually two. <laughs> Can I share two? So um, one precious moment actually was the CT award. And partly... Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I was really, it was a surprise. It was a, it was a, more than a blessing. When I think about the fact that the book, I was writing the book in 2018, to just see this moment where... IVP, you know, got on board and to have it released in January in a very timely moment that all I can say is it, <laughs> it's know? God, really, solely God, because, yeah, I mean, just some of the wonderful, just incredible feedback that I've gotten from readers, and that's just been amazing. So that has been a, a, a that precious moment of the culmination of that, getting that, that award was amazing. And then the other one is that our son, got married, got oh. married on the 19th. Just amazing. You know, there were literally 12 of us in a cavernous church <laughs> with, with masks on oh, and my. socially distancing, but it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. His wife is, her family immigrated from Ireland. And so she's part Irish and Italian. And just, it was just so beautiful and small and just lovely. So we have a whole extended family in Dublin and wow. uh, also in Italy. <laughs> so it's like, yes, come, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party in Ireland and in Italy. We're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> someday. Yes, exactly. Someday when this all falls over. Yes. Wow. Well, that's really, really cool that <laughs> you now have extended family all over the world. Yes. Yes. How did your son and daughter-in-law meet? Our son was attending university in Boston, and he was a part of InterVarsity, their program, Christian Fellowship. And he was running a Bible study on his campus, and his now wife's brother was at another college, and they they were they connected at InterVarsity. And so he his brother was so like impressed by. I saw him. I'm not, this is not parental inflation, but he's really great. So he's like, hmm, my sister 
<laughs> yeah. So he, he actually introduced the two of them. So wow. yeah. So that's, that's awesome. They're both they're both believers and just really strong Christians. And, and really he's also really cool. close with his brother-in-law now. Yes, 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 exactly. All right. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. Sheila, where can people find you outside of this podcast? My website is SheilaWiseRow.com. I am on Facebook, my, my name. It's my personal page, actually. And then Instagram and Twitter, it's Sheila Wiserow on all of those. And you could always visit the website. You can email me, info at SheilaWiseRow.com. Great. Thanks. I have had a number of precious moments since coming to California for a couple weeks and staying with my parents. One of those, as Daniel knows very well, is that I am at the gym every day that I'm working, (laughs) which has been a blessing for many reasons. One of those reasons is that, as most people who listen to this show know, I am moving to Hawaii soon, and that will require a huge adjustment in the time of day that I have to start my day with folks in central time. So I'm getting a sneak preview of that right now because we leave for the gym every morning around 5.30. So getting some practice. And then I'm also just really thankful to get a chance to swim and take exercise classes. These are all outside in case people are wondering. And yeah, this is one of my dad's favorite places to be. So it's also nice to see a place that he knows people and likes to talk to people and yeah, be out of the house. So that is my precious moment going to the gym. <laughs> and people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M E P A Y N L. That is it for us this week. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. Happy New Year. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. The podcast transcription is done by Boonia Shola and Bon Su. And you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, though. If you have specific comments on specific episodes, send us an email. We are at podcast at christianitytoday.com. And we will see you all next year. Bye! Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.